something that we can all benefit from regardless of our health and fitness and performance-based goals is a better night's sleep. And one of the best things you can do to improve your sleep is to incorporate an effective non-habit-forming sleep supplement. Let me tell you guys, I have used a lot of sleep supplements over the years and nothing comes close to the sleep that I experience on Force Element Night Ops. I love this sleep support supplement for a number of different reasons. Firstly, it helps get me to sleep. Secondly, it helps keep me asleep. Thirdly, I have, and I have the data to prove this from my sleep tracking, it actually improves both the amount of REM sleep that I get, rapid eye movement sleep and deep sleep, and importantly, doesn't make me feel drowsy when I wake up in the morning. It is an absolute must, not to mention it tastes delicious too. The Aero-inspired Aero Dreams flavor, it's a chalk mint flavor. My personal preference is to have this hot bit of boiling water, dash of milk just before you go to bed. Mmm, delicious. We have a very special deal for listeners of the Fitness Times Business Podcast. Buy one tub of Night Ops, get your second tub 25% off when you use the exclusive code FXB online at massivejoes.com. So go and pop two tubs of Force Element Night Ops in your cart, chuck the code FXB in there and your second tub will be 25% off. I'm super excited for you guys to try Night Ops. You're going to have the best sleep of your life. Let's get down to business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Oh, I make money moves. You can't see me, my time is now. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness Times Business Podcast, the show created to provide you with the practical and strategic advice to help you level up in fitness, business, your career, your relationships, and your life. My name is Joseph Mansell. I am your host. I have not one, but two special guests for you guys on today's episode. I'm sitting across from Andy Lee and Ben Deneen founders, owners of The What Life, also known as TWL. Gents, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. What an intro. Thank you. Thank you. I've done it a few times. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I'm uh, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, Your business is one of the huge success stories to come out of the business space of fitness uh, here in, in, in South Australia. You know, I'm, I'm going to let you guys talk through the origin story. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but, you know, one of the, uh, the, the most respected and most well-known brands in the fitness space, uh, not just in South Australia, not just in Australia, but all over the world. Uh, it's incredible what you guys have done. Uh, and I'm super excited to, uh, well, for you guys to share your journey, your origin story. Uh, then we're going to take some deep dives into some of the challenges challenges that you've had throughout your business journey. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other bits and pieces that we're going we're, we're gonna to dive into. Um, this is going to be one hell of an episode. Uh, so guys, strap yourselves in. Uh, ben, Andy. Here we go. Let's start. Origin yes. story of the WOD life. All right. I feel like we've told it a thousand times. You probably well, have. Yeah. Well versed, but always yeah. happy to share. Yeah. Um, well, look, we, we kicked off in 2013. Um, back then, Andy and I were both, you know, doing our own career stuff, um, and we we're both training at the gym together. Uh, Andy and I actually went to school together, so we've known each other since 1998. Um, and it basically started uh, when, back in 2013, e-commerce wasn't fully developed, um, and we wanted a skipping rope 
Um, you know, we were both training at CrossFit at the time, uh, and we both wanted both wanted this really super fast skipping rope. Uh, if you know anything about CrossFit, super competitive. If you can get like one or two seconds faster in a workout, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's definitely worth the investment uh, to get a faster skipping rope. Uh, so we reached out to them. They're based in the US. Company called RPM uh, Speed Ropes. We actually still stock them today, uh, and um, reached out to them. Said, Hey, can you send us a rope? Uh, and they said, no, sorry, we don't ship to Australia. Mm, uh, that old chestnut. That old chestnut back, <laughs> back then. Um, said sort of e-commerce wasn't fully like fleshed out uh, and international shipping, you know, it was a bit hit and miss and they weren't a big company in the US either at the time. So um, we said, well, what do we have to do? We really want this. We really want the speed rope. Uh, and they said, oh, you can buy 30 of them. So, you know, we all looked at each other and we're like, we only need two. Uh, well, okay. 30, I guess, you know, we could try and sell them to some of our friends um, and um, other people in, in, in the gym and, and the CrossFit box. Um, so we said, all right, send us 30 uh, um, and, and we'll see how we go. Uh, so anyway, we got the 30, uh, sold 28 of them to our friends and, um, and we were like, wow, okay, that was quick. There was a little bit of demand there uh, and our friends were coming to us and, and people we sold them to us, like, what else can you get? Uh, what else, you know, I need knee sleeves, I need, you know, wrist, uh, wraps. wrist wraps and there's these other cool brands that I see that, you know, we want to we want to get as well. And so Annie and I kind of looked at each other and, and, and said, oh, look, maybe we can help out here uh, and, um, and, and build a very small business. We never expected it to, to sort of grow too big. Uh, and as I said, we both had a full-time jobs and careers and everything else. So, um, yeah, we'd, we'd managed to get these, get these ropes in and, um, and then sort of slowly built the brand and the business um, but off the back of that, we would literally, you know, buy one of something, sell that, uh, and then be able to afford to buy two, and, and then four, and then six and eight, and sort of build it out from there in the early days. Um, and, um, and it sort of grew and grew. Uh, no one else was really doing too much in Australia at the time as well uh, in that space. So um, it was sort of something that was a little bit untapped. Uh, and, and yeah, so eventually... Um, we we're both able to sort of leave our full-time careers and, and focus on this. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot more along the way. It's, it's, a, it's a long story. So what started out as a, hey, we just want one rope. I think it was 30, 50 bucks each. We had to put up $1,000. Mm -hmm. And for us at the time, we, we didn't have that cash laying around. So we said, all right, 1,000 bucks, geez, okay. Credit card down, bought the ropes. And I was in Melbourne, Ben was in, in Adelaide, sold it to our mates at the gym, and we thought that was the end of it. We were like, cool, we got the rope. Like, <laughs> we've done what we... we that, all we wanted was that one, that yeah. one thing. Yeah. But the fact and, and that... And you shaved a few seconds off your oh, work Absolutely. Time. <laughs> we were like the, the kings yeah. of the gym yeah. because we were, we yeah. were shredding the dubs. Um, and, and people just loved it. And yeah. as Ben touched on, there was something there and it wasn't organized, it was quite fragmented. You could buy your supplements here, you could buy your t-shirt there, you could buy your shoes there, but no one really brought that together. And I think we're very passionate about it. And if there's anything that um, fitness communities have, it's that, that passion. Mm -hmm. And we just wanted to try and organize a community around that. It was our lifestyle. We weren't just kind of going into the gym each day and sort of laboring, we, were, we couldn't wait to get into the gym. Mm. And the gear was sort of a fun part of it. 
um, as you know, what shoes are you wearing? What are you using? How can you get better in your workouts? And, and we just love that. And we found that everyone else was like that as well. And we sort of felt this obligation to be the pioneers to get stuff in for people. Um, we, had, we had no name or anything. Like, what do we even no, call we, ourselves? Yeah. Yeah, was, and, yeah. And again, we, what are we going to call ourselves? Hang on, what are we doing here? Are we starting a business? Um, we, we weren't. There was never any thought of starting a business. We even needed to open a bank account. And, you know, I just went to my mate at the local branch and I said, hey, can you open an account for me? Yeah. We didn't even think. There was no business plan. There was no, there was no plan. It was just one thing that sort of led to another. And here we are sitting today, 10 years on. I uh, think it's been a roller coaster, but we sort of started from one rope and, and it's always quite funny telling that story. And it's quite a reflection moment for Ben and I going, it started from this one simple rope, this one concept, and here we are. There's thousands of today. products and you know, hundreds of thousands of customers yeah. around Australia and the world. And, and we had no warehouse, like my bedroom was yeah. our distribution center. Yeah. Um, had to get rid of all my clothes and, and basically, you know, uh, Everything was, I had a printer in my room and I was in a share house at the time as well. So my poor roommates were like, what is going on? And there was like, uh, you know, outgrew my bedroom and then, okay, took over my car. I was like, I had stuff in the back of my car. And and there was a point where we're like, oh, um, you know, Andy was in sales. I was like, Andy, like, we kind of need to like put this stuff somewhere. I can't keep sleeping with all these products. And I was like, no, we don't. No, <laughs> yeah, we don't. Yeah. You need to just keep loading it up. Yeah, you, can, yeah. you can keep holding out yeah. and keep holding out. Yeah, and then, um, um, and you know, we, we were working pretty hard on it. We had full-time jobs. We were working eight, 10 hours a day mm. in our jobs and then coming home and working for another four, six, eight hours um, plus some, some sometimes uh, getting orders out and, and managing managing sort of that. Uh, you know, rolling up to Australia Post on my lunch break uh, with with cartons and cartons of of, parallel, of, of orders to go out. Uh, and um, yeah, it was really sort of a two man band there for a while. Uh, and um, and it's pretty funny to look back on it now. Wish I'd taken some photos and stuff of them. And, you know, oh, you know, this is this is where it started because literally. It was just piled up to the ceiling in my yeah. bedroom. Um, and then we sort of moved into a small space in the gym um, and got a staff member even. That was a, that was yeah, a that big was step. Yeah, that was a big moment. Yeah, when, yeah we, we, I mean, early days, it's you're asking your friends for help. Yeah. Our friends owned the gym. They had a little room there um, down the road from Ben's office. So we, we sort of leased that out um, and started to put our stock there. I think Ben was happy and his, his roommates was happy. <laughs> we got some more space his back His girlfriend at the time was, was yeah. glad that uh, she didn't have to jump over cardboard yeah, boxes absolutely. every day. But um, yeah, the, the big takeaway for us as well is that we were working full-time jobs. Yes. Yep. We didn't quit everything to go all in on this. So I always come back to this concept of the swinging vine and mm. talking about People sort of say, how, how, how do I start a business? What did you guys do? And, and I, I think that it was years until we left our jobs, really. Mm. Um, and because we wanted to keep that as long as possible because we needed that money coming in. So it's that, that vine concept is we always say to people, hey, don't just quit your job and go all in on this because there's a lot of risk there. 100%. Um, business is risky. So think about, you know, you don't, Entrepreneurs sometimes don't think about the risks. They think about the things that are exciting about building a business. But, you know, swing 
swing from that one vine to the next vine mm. so that you've got that kind of uh, momentum that you can carry on and that when, as soon as you grab that next vine there, you're off and then you're looking for the next vine. So I think that's one big takeaway for Ben and I is that, you know, we had jobs for a long period of time. We were doing absolutely everything we could after hours, on weekends, before work, after work, lunch breaks, as Ben said, going down to the post office. And uh, it was just crazy until we really got to a point where we, we sort of said, hey, I think we need to go all in mm. on this um, and even still um, paying yourself an income. We just wanted to put absolutely everything we could into the business to help give it the fuel that it needed to continue to grow. It's a very similar origin story to the MJ's origin exactly. story. Absolutely. <laughs> like Absolutely. We have a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, you know, mine was in the gym selling supplements, couldn't get them. I was importing them. People was asking me about them. I'd sell them to the gym members. Hold on a second. There's a market here. But very similar in the fact that just like you guys, like at the time, and when I tell people this, they're like, fuck, man, there was a lot going on. I was studying full-time. I was studying engineering and law. I was working three to four days a week at, at Santos, an oil and gas company. I would run massive Joes, just like you guys. Like, okay, what was I doing from four o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock? Well, I was getting back to emails. And what was I doing from seven o'clock at night until midnight? Well, I was fucking packing orders. And in my lunch break, I'd go to fucking Australia Post and roll up with these packages, you know? And, and, and you know, it's, it's, um, it doesn't surprise me at all that you guys have a very similar path. And it's one of the biggest pieces of business advice that I give to people when they're starting a new business. And you're exactly right, Andy, is, you know, it's very easy if you've got an entrepreneurial streak in you to just see the upside and just see the opportunity and get ahead of yourself and get pumped up about it and go, you know what, I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to leave my responsibilities. I'm, I'm closing the door behind me. I'm burning my boats yeah, and I'm yeah. going all in uh, on yeah, this. Yeah, a bit risky. I, I always, my advice is always, no, 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 no. You need to balance both for as long as you possibly can until it gets to the point where it's actually… There's a breaking point. There's it's a, a breaking point. And you know when it is because it cripples your growth in the new venture. Absolutely. And the numbers add up, right? So let me ask you guys about that. So you started in 2013. How long was it before you got to the point where it was like, you know what? We, we can actually close the door behind us with our full-time careers and we can actually go all in on this. What, what was that point? Well, being made redundant was like a good point for me. Okay. Yep. That was, that was, <laughs> that was a, a good point. Luckily, luckily um, I sort of had this side hustle at the time. Yeah. Uh, and you moved For overseas. me, it was a bit, yep. it was a bit different. Um, so we, we probably had two different timings mm -hmm. there. Um, probably six months into the business, mm -hmm. um, I had the opportunity at the time, my partner got a job in the US. Yeah. So I actually went over to the US, one with a suitcase full of suits mm. to get a job over there mm -hmm. while we were still doing this. And the other was, was all my worldly possessions, but moved over there and was going to these interviews, you know, and, and professional jobs, corporate jobs going, man, I don't know about this. And meanwhile, Ben was burning the midnight all back home and, and we were kind of going, hang on a second, this is crazy. Like we're working so much and I was working so much and we had this opportunity of me being in the US where a lot of our product was from, a lot of the people we were dealing with was over there. And I kind of said, yeah. man, like, you know, we've got to, maybe I've got to lean into this. So I think it was six months in, in the US, I actually never got a job 
in the US. I was just doing this full time, full time. And I was emailing companies, um, trying to get new products and sort of saying, I'll come and meet you. And they were saying, hang on a second, you're from Australia. And I was like, look, whatever it takes we'll get to, get the, we'll to get the um, <laughs> relationship going, I'll be there. And little do they know I, I drove an hour down the road. Yeah, but yeah. absolutely, yeah. Uh, absolutely. No, so I think we both had different points in time, but we've always been so aligned that we've wanted to put every single dollar we potentially could back into the business. So that's why shipping out of Ben's bedroom, um, not taking an income from the business for years, really. A seven income, a seven figure business, but we weren't taking an income out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and back to the point of, you know, young people wanting to just go in on the business. Um, people come to me with that sort of similar um, philosophy as well. And I just say, look, if you don't have the cash, you've got to put in the sweat. Uh, and, and for us, it was about putting in the sweat because we didn't have cash. We basically... Um, put in a few thousand dollars each to build the business uh, and we knew that we, it was going to take some time. Um, so we put in the cash and, and I often say to a young person, like, okay, how much do you like sleep? Do you like sleep? Like, you want to do this? You want to like build your, your dream business? That's great. Uh, how many hours a night do you sleep? What if, okay, you call, you sleep eight hours. Okay, great. Uh, what if I said to you for a year, you will only sleep four hours a night um, and you will get four hours of sleep Monday through Sunday, four hours a night, that's it. Um, and they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I like, I like my sleep too much. It's like, well, you're probably not going to make it. Um, you've got you've to put in that sweat equity. You're going you're gonna to be exhausted. You're going to be tired. You've got to punch through it. There's going to be days where you're like, no, it's too hard. Um, and, and that's sort of you know, what I sort of impart on the young people who kind of see it and go, oh, you guys make it look easy. Um, you know, and so, but I can guarantee you that in the early days, it, it wasn't like that at all. Um, you had to survive off, you know, three to four hours sleep a night, not go out with friends, not go yeah, out partying. Yeah, what are you willing to like, give up what to you achieve this sacrifice? when you don't have the money? Yeah. Relationships, you know, partners are going to come and go because, like, you focus purely on on the business and, and your career and, and you know, what's, what's, what, what are you prepared to give up? Yeah. Um, basically those, and, and you know, um, had to totally change our lifestyle and, and, and knowing that in sort of five, ten years, okay, cool, it's going to pay off potentially. Um, but, but often a good tip for young players is, um, you know, have a think about that cash fee sweat uh, and, and what are you prepared to sacrifice. Uh, big I think, one is sleep. Well, I think it comes, like, it, you know, and this is why I'm such a big proponent for, you know, it's one thing to kind of like have a vision or have an idea or, you know, have, you know, something that you want to pursue Everyone has that, you know, at multiple times during their lives. It needs to be combined with passion. Like you need to have, and not just like a little bit of passion, like passion to the point where it's like, what are you willing to sacrifice to see if this can work with no guarantee of success? Because there's no guarantee, right? You could Absolutely. do that. You could drop down from eight hours sleep a night to four hours sleep a night for 12 months. There's no guarantee that it's going to work. But are you passionate enough to try anyway, right? Do you have that burning desire to pursue whatever it is that you say you want to pursue to the point where you're like, I will sacrifice sleep and I will sacrifice personal relationships and I will sacrifice whatever the fuck I need to sacrifice with no guarantee of success, but I'm willing to try anyway. Absolutely. And And that's got to be an internal driver as well. And I think that's the one thing that Ben and I align on. Yep. When our mates say, 
What are you guys doing? You're crazy. Mm. This is insane. Mm. When uh, family and, and other friends go, but you guys have gone to university and you've studied and yeah. you're giving up these careers. Like, what are you What are yeah. you doing? When are you going to get a real job? Oh. Yeah, classic, classic. <laughs> Tell Thanks. me about it. All right, mum. If right, I had yeah, a dollar yeah. for every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So being, being okay with that yeah. and then just being so fixated on, yeah. as you touched on, Joe, being passionate. Yes. Sometimes to a fault. But being passionate where you know, hey, I've got a feeling this is going to work. Mm. You can see some little rewards along the way, mm. whether it's an order, a customer, a new product, a new relationship, yeah. having those little milestones along the way that you can build on. Yeah. But what are you willing to give up? But the passion is so key. Mm. And I think that Ben and I wouldn't be sitting here today if we weren't passionate about it. Absolutely ten, no chance. Ten years on, you've got a passion yeah. bucket. And when as... Ben said, you, you, you've got no sleep, you've got no money, you've got to dip into that passion bucket. And if it's not very deep, yeah. you know, you're going to be packing things in. It's, it's the only thing you've got. It's interesting as well that you guys, um, you know, you touched on not being able to pull a wage from the business for, you know, you were doing seven figures, multi-million dollars in turnover, and you still couldn't pull a decent wage from the business. This is something, you know, one of my red flags that, that pops up straight away when people talk about starting a business is when they start thinking about how much money they're going to make, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, a little giggle, right? Because you know it, right? It's just like, man, you're like, you just don't like, no. You, well, no. You, I mean, you could draw a wage if you wanted to, but you won't grow. Yeah. And, you know, it depends where your priorities are. If you're comfortable just with yeah. a small, you know, business or small to medium business, then mm -hmm. fine. But if you've got aspirations and dreams to, to go global, mm -hmm. uh, then, then that's another sacrifice that you just have to make. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's all part of the process and the journey. Um, and, um, and, yeah, it's, uh, and, yeah, you know, leaders eat last. That's kind of our theory around yes. with, with us. And, and, you know, we've got um, lot, quite a few team members now and, and, and lots of, um, you know, large investments in terms of warehousing and stuff yeah. like that. So, so well, talk, uh, just a little bit of detail around that because we've gone from 2013, you guys are now, you know, this is year 10, year 11 for you. You're a decade into business. It started with 30 skipping ropes selling out of a CrossFit box. Where are you guys at in 2023? Just to kind of paint the picture for, for um, the listeners and the viewers who perhaps don't understand the scale of the WOD life. Yeah, so we're... Um, predominantly have uh, still Australian market. New Zealand is like our biggest market. Mm -hmm. We have wildlife.com, which services mainly the US uh, and global, the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, we're pushing out about 150,000 orders a year mm -hmm. um, globally um, and uh, have a team of in Australia of around 30, mm -hmm. uh, including sort of warehouse team and, and operations and marketing, uh, customer experience, um, you know, so a full sort of team. Um, and yeah, so um, we have uh, on South Road, we have our warehouse, uh, it's about 3,000 squares, uh, and we have a marketing office as well at Mile End. So yeah, that's um, yeah, kind of sort of where we're at. Yeah, we've, we've stepped through the bedroom. We changed warehouses three, four times. That was yeah. one of the hamstrings for growth is how much product can we actually fit in this room, yeah. in this warehouse, and whether it's one warehouse and then two next to each other and then three. So it was a massive step for us to be able to jump, to swing on that vine to the warehouse where we currently are now. And I remember the day we walked in there going, we'll never be able to fill this. Yeah. It's like, okay, hold my beer or hold my protein shake. Yeah. Uh, we'll do everything that we possibly can to, to try and fill that. And we look in there now going, oh, geez, we're, we're starting to run out of space. Yeah. 
Onto yeah, the which next is one. which is crazy. Thousands of products, some amazing brand relationships yes. as well. So, you know, it's it's a dream really for us. If you said ten years ago we could sit here today with a business working with big brands in, in fitness that um, we definitely aspired to, whether it's Nike, Reebok, Adidas, um, huge brands for us and some up and coming brands as well. Like that's amazing for us to have those partnerships, have those relationships that we've built over over time. Not everyone gets to have that. Mm. So we're, you know, super humbled and, and excited and still passionate as we were day one. Hundred percent. And it's not just skipping ropes as well, right? <laughs> no, so it's, it started, but it definitely doesn't end there. Yeah. It's uh we try to be full service, um, not just to the athlete in the gym, but also to the gym as well. Yes. Uh, so the main categories we have are, you know, apparel obviously, mm. um Equipment is a big one, um, whether you're setting up a home gym or a full full CrossFit box. Mm-hmm. Um, there's accessories, things like weightlifting belts, knee sleeves, those things that athletes need. Uh, shoes is a major category for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that's sort of the main the main categories that we, we work in. Yeah. Uh, and that, at the end of the day, is a full service. That idea, that initial idea we had where people can come to us and it's a one-stop shop for everything, best favorite brands plus you know our own brand stuff as well um that was our our manifesto day one um and so trying to keep that that choice there obviously also um massive massively conscious that not everyone has the cash to buy the best brand so we try to have like a good better best um set up as well Mm -hmm. but we give choice to the consumer um and you know you might just be starting your journey uh and not want to invest in the two hundred dollar skipping rope or $150 skipping rope and, you know, $20 skipping rope is where you start. Mm. Uh, and then as you sort of get better, you sort of get, you sort of level up to the, to the other, 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 um, that good, better, best sort of structure of, of where they can, where they get value. Um, mm. That's, you know, what we're sort of passionate about. And yeah, helping everyone options. along wherever they are on their fitness journey, whether they're stepping in the door or whether they're competing, we want to try and have the products, the information, the community and also the content around that as well. It's not, we don't just want to be known as the, the seller, the retailer. Yeah. We want to try and be that hub for everyone that they can sort of, the campfire that they can gather around and talk about their lifestyle, be passionate about fitness and training and then have the products as well that help support that. So that's that's evolved over the, the journey from that one skipping rope. Yeah. Um, you know, we've probably got, five or ten skipping ropes now in that sort of like small category. Skipping ropes are still uh, in there. But yeah, yeah. it's the staple and, yeah. and it's always, yeah, nice to come back to that that one product to then see the, the aisles and aisles and brands and products that yeah. we stock now, which yeah. is super cool. It's incredible. It's a, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible um, origin story, really, like a real grassroots origin story. When you start a business from the ground up, from, you know, the 30 skipping ropes out of the bedroom, shipping, like real, you know, people say they started from the ground up, but they had, you know, a warehouse or investment or this or that. Like you guys, you fucking started from grassroots. Um, It doesn't get started from the bottom any further to the bottom than where you guys started from. And I know it personally because my story is exactly the same. When you're trying to grow a business from literally the ground up, literally from the bottom, literally from grassroots, there's a couple of different paths, right? One path is to get some sort of investment, right? Some sort of financial instrument, some sort of um, equity investment, some sort of uh, 
cash injection, whatever that kind of looks like. And you can go, okay, now we got the cash, we can bump up inventory, we can move to a warehouse, we can hire some staff and we can scale quite quickly using someone else's resources. The other option is to do it purely from cash flow. Is start with maxed out credit card, buy your first 30 skipping ropes, sell the skipping ropes, pay the credit card off, take the profit, buy more skipping ropes, sell those, and literally one step at a time from pure cash flow, build a business from the ground up. The option one with the, the um, other people's resources uh, is definitely in the era we live in now, the preferred option um, because there's less skin in the game, I think. And it does, there are benefits. Of course, it allows you to scale relatively quickly, um, much more quickly than if you're trying to do it from cash flow alone. Doing it from cash flow alone is a much slower process, but you maintain control. You're not using other people's resources. For the main part, you're using your resources. Uh, you might learn some more lessons along the way, uh, but there's a lot more risk as well. You guys took option two, uh, pure cash flow. And for a lot of entrepreneurs that are starting a business from the ground up, like you guys did, like I did, that is their first big challenge is how do I actually grow this business when I don't have any money and I don't have any resources? How did you guys do it? Yeah, big, big question there, Joe. It's quite interesting because I come from a corporate finance background. Well, there you go. Uh, but Ben talked about our careers. So I've come from this background where no was working with some of Australia's largest businesses, understanding how they grow, multinational businesses, mm -hmm. and having that understanding and the ability to be able to learn from businesses. Um, it was almost counterintuitive as to the way that we grew our, our business. Uh, in that it was from grassroots maxing out credit cards because the corporate finance way mm -hmm. would be, as you said, get some funding, get some investors and, and grow it that way. But it was yeah almost counterintuitive to the way that Ben and I looked about it. But we we never, for one, I can't ever remember having a discussion about going, hey, we should get some investment mm -hmm. here. But I think that approach that we've taken, look, it's not for everyone and it's not necessarily the right way. It's the way that we've done it. But I think for us, it's been the right way in that you learn the right way to build a business. You learn the lessons along the way. You learn the importance of, where do I put this dollar? Where do I put this next dollar? And how do you turn that one dollar into two, three, five, ten? Well, it's different when you're spending your money. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And we, it sometimes the the sexiness of the investment gets glorified, whether it's on yep. social media or whatever, and the story of equity, mm -hmm. and even reflection for us to go, oh, you know, maybe we should just get all this money and. and grow. Mm -hmm. But now where the economy is at and what people are valuing within business is, is the skill set that I think Ben and I have employed and, and built over the way. Mm -hmm. Have we grown to the level maybe we could have? Maybe, maybe not. But we still feel we've done it the right way and, mm -hmm. and the skills that we've learned along the way deploying our capital, hard-earned money. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely, we've learned lessons along the way. But um, I think that's put us in really good, good stead. I want to go. I want to go full practical. How did you do it? Because I know a lot of listeners are like their business is. They've done what you guys have done. They've started from the ground up. They're doing maybe I don't know ten grand a month in sales, or maybe a hundred grand a month in sales, or whatever it is. But it's all self funded, and they 
just want to know how to grow. Get a good, how did you guys do it? Get a good bank manager. <laughs> like, literally go in and meet with your bank. Yeah. Um, and, <clears throat> and, you know, we maxed out the credit cards. Mm-hmm. Then, okay, moved into an overdraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we're comfortable with that. Uh, and then from overdraft, you know, get to a certain size and then move into trade finance. But understand uh, the levers out there uh, that you can use and utilize uh, to get a little bit of funding when you need it. Um, even things like uh, PayPal finance and, mm-hmm. and Shopify finance and, and there's, there's plenty of sort of um, options out there mm-hmm. uh, so that, you know, if you do, do need to uh, borrow some money, uh, then, then you know you should be you should be thinking about that and talking to your bank, building a relationship with them, um, because um, yes, uh, you could take investment, uh, but then there's a third party involved, mm-hmm. and they may not have the same vision for your brand that you do. Uh, they may be forcing you to do things that you you know probably don't think is the right thing for your business, and forcing you to grow faster than what you're comfortable with, or take bigger risks, and then, and quite often you know it all falls over. Um, so, you know, taking the investment is one side, but being able to sort of have a good relationship with with the people who you can access money through is important. Uh, we've got good relationships with our banks uh, and meet with them regularly and, and, you know, talk about the business and, and um, you know, what our upcoming needs are and find out what facilities they have, what options are there. Um, it's always a good way to go as well. Um, but obviously, when it's your money, you're a little bit more a little bit more cautious with it. Uh, we try to sort of still keep it like that, you know, hey, this is still our money and um, and would we be, would, is this a wise investment in this stock or this colorway or this flavor or whatever it is, um, you know, and you know, we've got to think to ourselves, okay, is this still a wise use of, use of the funds that we have to, to purchase more stock? And to that, I think the, the key thing I come back to is unit economics, mm-hmm. is that the, the old days of, you know, you've got a widget, how much can you buy it for? How much can you sell it for? Still to this day, Ben and I have conversations around it. Yeah. So when it's you're in a product and you're selling a product, you go, okay, one, how can I create a product that's maybe unique or has more value? So obviously a brand around that is, is key. But early days it was, okay, what can we buy? How much can we buy it for? And then what can we sell it for? That unit economics cer- certainly key because you need some profit to generate from that to reinvest, either it's buying more products to do the same thing again, or to invest in other things. So coming back to the unit economics, what can I buy or what can I create that has value that I can sell for um, greater value and make a level of profit? That's you know business 101. You don't really have a business unless you've got a product that you can sell it for more than you, you bought it for and then have some profit left over. And early days, that was absolutely what what Ben and I were looking to do. And and while we wanted to be the one-stop shop, we were buying one product, selling that, and then buying two, and then selling two and buying four. It was very like simple business 101, like a lemonade stand, mm-hmm. just online and with fitness products. But we, we built that and we didn't go because we didn't have a lot of money. We had to learn a lot of the skill sets ourselves. Mm-hmm. One, how do you build a website? Luckily, we, we stumbled across Shopify and we, we built a website ourselves. We learned how to take a photo. Um, we, we called in our mates uh, to help, you know, put a T-shirt on and take a photo of it. We learned how to run the website. We were running customer experience ourselves. Facebook, 
Instagram. We were doing all of that ourselves because we didn't have much money. So we were learning all the skill sets ourselves and trying to do that to a level where we could reinvest that profit into more inventory, buy more, sell more. And then at certain points along the journey, we maybe brought someone in to help us to try and make the most out of that. But it was very simply buying and selling for, for creating more value and then trying to make the right decision at the right point in time for, okay, how do we level certain things up? Where do we need help? How are we best utilizing our time? And how do we continue to, to make this grow? So there was, there was quite a few inflection points along the way, but pretty simply it comes back to Business 101 and, and unit economics. And that's still true to us today. Like we wouldn't have a business if we weren't able to try and create cool products, create some value and do it in a way that there is some money in there that we can invest into other areas to help grow the business. And also don't be afraid to negotiate as well. That's something that you just have to do. Um, so if your factory is saying, oh, you need, need to buy 400 of this product, but really you only need 200, you've got to negotiate with the factory and, and figure out how you can make it work uh, for both parties. Um, if, you know, it's, if it's, you can get 30-day or 60-day terms on products as well, um, you know, that all helps. Um, and and you know, it's only a small thing, uh, but it can really help the cash flow situation and um, help you to grow. So the other, other side of it is learn how to negotiate mm. uh, and, and um, build those relationships with your suppliers uh, to, to be able to do that. All the basic skills of entrepreneurship, right? Exactly. Like it really, exactly. it's, you know, and it's, it's so beautiful to hear you guys articulate it the way that you do. Because I think a lot of the time when people see success stories like the WOD Life or MJ Fitness or, you know, businesses that started from the ground up and have kind of achieved certain levels of success, it's very easy to kind of think there's some magic in there you know there's some Silver secret recipe yeah, yeah there's something wealthy, going wealthy on that like yeah, yeah no yeah, exactly yeah. you know like there's there's just something that that these guys have that i don't have the truth is it's just not true right it's it, it always comes back to basics and it comes back to things like unit economics. It comes back to how are you spending your cash flow? It comes back to are you able to negotiate on little deals with suppliers or little deals with, you know, like are, are you able to actually execute basic entrepreneurial skills? That is the ultimate determinant of success. And then if you decide to go down the path of getting private equity or investment or whatever it is and these other bits and pieces at some point in your business journey, it still comes back to that basic entrepreneurial skill set. Absolutely. And I think it's such a valuable take-home message for, uh, you know, the listeners and the viewers that are early on in their entrepreneurial uh, journey is it, it, it is the basics. And investors, investors like it if you're scrappy. Yeah. Because for so long, yeah. it's been too easy to get money and just blow it. Well, man, like I can tell you so many stories over the last 10 years that I've seen in, in my space, in the supplement space of the fitness business, where, you know, people have come in, somehow they've accessed money, whether it, whether it is through investment or whether it is through, you know, however they've been able to access it, and they've fallen into the trap of buying sales right off the top, right? And it's the old, it's the old um, 
saying uh, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. And they chase revenue numbers, right? But they've never actually done the unit economics. And they don't realize, they go, okay, well, you know, I bought this tub of protein for 50 bucks and I'm selling it for 100, so I'm making 50 bucks profit. But you spent 70 bucks on CPC ads to sell that product. So you actually lost, and then you had to ship it, and then you had the transaction fees. And That's then okay, you but sent, at some point in time, yeah, we're going to make some money here. Yeah, um, at some point, it'll, yeah, you know, it'll, it'll quote unquote, it will quote unquote reach the scale where, you know, somehow the, the fucking lever gets flipped and it turned, but you see it all the time. I mean, you see it all the time in uh, outside of the fitness business in big tech. You know, you go Absolutely. look at some of the biggest tech companies in the world right now, and they're laying off tens of thousands of employees because they were valued as if at some point they were going to flip the switch and turn a profit. And now interest rates are going up and finance is getting more difficult and their sales are dropping and they're actually never going to make a profit. People are they're never going to make a profit. People are unsubscribing. Yep. They were like, yeah, totally, totally over, overvalued. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, just to kind of tie back to the, the, the real take-home message that I want the listeners and viewers to take, there is no secret recipe. There is no silver bullet. There is no magic that you have, Andy, or you have, Ben, or I have, or some, some kind of hidden skill set. It's all exactly the same basic shit. And it's just who is going to execute that with discipline on a sufficiently long enough time period to achieve success. Keep yeah. your fixed costs low yep. and work hard. Well, that's it. That's what you got to do. I want to transition into grassroots, cash flow, learning these lessons, building the business. At some point, you get to the point where the business is it's not firing on all cylinders, but it's firing. You know, you're doing million bucks plus in annual revenue. You've got some sales. You've got a nice customer base. Like the business is... It's actually a business now. It's not a, you know, it's not a side project hobby. At that point, there's a couple of challenges that I know I've come up against. The first one is having a lot of different opportunities and deciding which ones to say yes to and which ones to say no to, which ultimately is opportunity cost. And the second is how does that play into actually scaling a business at the point where it's time to start scaling a business? So at the point where it's like, you know what, I've done the cash flow thing. I'm very disciplined with the basics of unit economics and entrepreneurship and it's all good. Now I got to start thinking about, okay, I need to bring people into the business. So I got to start thinking about company culture. I got to start thinking about managing people and KPIs and making sure that I'm holding people accountable. I got to start thinking about, you know what, I, I need to move this warehouse out of my bedroom and, yeah. <laughs> and move into it. You know, so there's the, there's, yeah. the, there's the opportunity cost. How have you guys analyzed different opportunities? And what has been a determinant in which ones you say yes to and which ones you say no to? And how has that played into scaling the business at the different points where the business has had the opportunity to scale. Yeah, as you, as you say, when you're trying to grow the business, you try and take on every single opportunity. and You say yes to everything. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So if yeah. there is a yeah. product or a business that we could start, um, that we could make money from, that could help us grow, we were doing it. Um, 
we, we even had a, a coffee company as well. We thought there was an opportunity in coffee, so we started that. And there was a handful of other things that still under the same banner, but we were just looking for opportunity. Mm-hmm. Looking for opportunity, it was even distribution of brands. Um, we were doing everything. And at some point in time, you get spread very, very thin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's why I'm lucky to have quite a grounded co-founder in, in Ben as well to, to kind of come back to, okay, what, what are we doing and how are we going about it? And, you know, there, there's a great book there in, in Good to Great by mm. Jim Collins that yeah. it, just keeping you focused and, and also The One Thing by, by Gary Keller is... Keep the main thing the main thing. What, it, what is the one thing that you want to be known for? What is the one thing that you're the best in the world at? Mm-hmm. And we had to keep coming back to that in going, okay, what do we want to be the best in the world at? So, okay, we want to be the number one, um, the one-stop shop for all things training. So when an opportunity comes at us, we have that lens to analyse that. Is this going to help us achieve the, the goal that we're looking to aspire to of being the, the one-stop shop for, for all things training? If it is, yes, okay. And then do we have the time, resources, energy, money to be able to do that? Quite often we say yes and then figure it out later. Yeah. Um, still to this day, yeah. but I think that having that lens is important for us. And I think Ben and I were, at the end of the day, we work for our, our customer and we want to do everything that we can to make that experience as good as possible. And and sometimes we take, because it's our business, it's our name on the door, we do take things personally. So if we can't do something, it's not that we don't want to do it. It's just, it's maybe not the right thing, the right time and we just don't have the resources to execute it. And at the same time, if we put our name to something, we want to do it to the best of our ability. So that's also been something really good that we can utilise. And quite often people are a lot more understanding when you say, hey, we would love to be able to do this, but we're not going to be able to do it to the level that we hold ourselves accountable to. So we're just going to have to say no. And then they go, look, we're upset, but... We understand. So I think being focused on that that one thing that's going to make you great, that for me and, and hopefully us and our, our team gives us the, the direction in that and the lens to be able to analyse what we go after and what we don't go after. Uh, yeah, quite often it's, uh, you know, say yes and figure out how to do it later, which is still to this day very, very true. But it's a challenging thing and we haven't always made the right call um, but more often than not, we did make the right call. Um, but when you're trying to continually grow the business, it's hard to say no to opportunity. I find it personally pretty difficult. It, I don't the, know about you, the, Ben. There's, there's, a, there's a, a delta, and this is my personal experience. And this is something that I, honestly, guys, like I, I struggle with it now because, and I, th- I think this is part of the entrepreneurial spirit, right? And once again, it ties back to starting from the ground up is you've been in the position where you've had no opportunity. So when opportunity comes knocking you're like let's go and you say yes to everything because there is there's no opportunity cost right you just go yes i'll do that and 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 then there's a point of inflection or there's a delta where every opportunity that you say yes to carries with it an inherent no to another opportunity so you have to balance the two opportunities. And that, that's ultimately the definition of opportunity cost, right? So if I have opportunity A and I have opportunity B and I say yes to opportunity A, 
that carries an inherent no to opportunity B. So which opportunity is more valuable here? If A is more valuable, sure, say yes. And I understand that you're saying no to opportunity B. But if opportunity B is more valuable and you've said yes to opportunity A, well, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Right, And there is a point along the business journey where, and you articulate it so, so beautifully, Andy, thank you for, for, uh, for putting it like that, is you really have to anchor back into what's truly important to your business. And in order to do that, you need to have clarity around what's truly important to your business. And I think that that piece of advice is, is uh, incredibly valuable, is what do you want to be the best in the world at? For sure. Get clarity look, on that. It's it's hard to do. Still to this day, like yourself, Joe, it's hard. It's hard to do that. I, it's, I struggle. I, I, I struggle with it because I want to do everything. Absolutely. Like still now. Yeah, and, that's, you know, because, that's, and you know what it is for me, Andy? What, like my, when you talk about your biggest fears, right? Like, in, and some people are like, oh, I'm afraid of spiders or, you know, I'm afraid of dying or, you know, I'm afraid of failure, you know, is a big one for people. I have one fear. And my fear is regret. I don't want to be on my deathbed taking my last few breaths going, fuck, I wish I did that. Or I wish that I said yes to that. That's the, that scares the shit out of me. Because of that, I want to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 There, there's also that part of knowing when to scale. Yes. Uh, and coming back to the question, it was like, okay, when do you scale? Yeah. We used, <clears throat> we used to have this thing called breaking point. We're like, okay, when... We're at absolute breaking point. That's when we're going to move and grow something bigger. So whether that's going from a 10 square meter bedroom, you know, warehouse uh, to 30 squares to 300, 400, 600 squares, and now into 3,000 squares, you've, we literally, we had to sort of time it perfectly as to when you're going to grow. No point going to a 3,000 square meter warehouse when you're in year one and hoping that the sales are going to come in. You've got to know when to scale, uh, when to bring on, when's the best time to bring on a team member or another person in a team, or when, you know, do I grow my distribution? When do I, when, when am I, when, when's my experience good to build out from selling apparel to moving into shoes, uh, into equipment, um, into sort of like bigger investments? Uh, and so you really have to know in your head, okay, now's the time to do it, but also I need to understand what an opportunity looks like and what I'm going to need for that opportunity. If that's more space, if it's more team, if it's more money, um, then you have to plan those things out. Um, whilst we're quick to say yes to things, and sometimes we do figure it out later, we also are going through, okay, what are the, what are the main things that we're going to need? If there's investments in front of us, what does it look like? What do the numbers look like? What's the margins? Uh, where are we going to put it? How are we going to send it? Um, who's going to buy it? And try and like build out a business plan for that opportunity, and then you're going to be a lot more comfortable going into it, um, and and that way. So it's not just a always yes, yes, yes. Um, you have to seriously consider it, and what's it going to mean, and the flow-on effect. Um, I guess the waterfall effect of everything down the track. And if that means okay, I'm taking this on now. Okay, that means this is probably going to fall away. Something else is going to fall away. Um, then you have to be prepared for that and understand that. Um, so there's definitely that. Know when to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, kind of thing, um, and and we we definitely spend a lot of time thinking about that and how we how we're going to take an opportunity, 
um, what team have we got? Who, who, where are we going to put it? You know, how are we going to send it? That and I think, I think that's uh, that's such a great way of thinking about it. You mentioned breaking point, like we, you know, push until you can't push any further. And this is something that I see a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, a lot of business people make a mistake when it comes to scaling a business. Is they take on a lot of additional overhead, and they assume that they're going to grow into the overhead. And my advice is always to do the opposite. Exactly what you said, Ben, is you, you, there's, there's two types of growing pains, right? Growing pain number one is taking on too much overhead and then trying to figure out how the fuck you're going to fund it, right? And that's painful because now you've got this massive overhead and the sales might, you know, if you have a good week, yeah, if you have a bad week, mm, and that's a growing pain. The other growing pain is to be bursting at the fucking seams and go, you know, I tell this story before we moved into this building here, we used to be uh, literally one street over on Woodlands Terrace and our warehouse back then was 400 square meters. Now the mezzanine is 400 square meters. You know, exactly, like exactly. But, yeah, yeah. but the story that I tell is we used to be so jam-packed that the warehouse manager would get in in the morning, drive the forklift out of the warehouse so that he had space to pack and receive deliveries. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. And know, if, if it was point, raining right? outside, the fucking the <laughs> forklift got oh, wet. Yeah, yeah, I remember <laughs> those days. I remember you know? coming, coming right? down. Yeah, and yeah. just push it until you can't push it anymore. That's a growing pain as well because that fucking sucks. You got upset neighbors and like yeah. pissing everyone off, yeah. right? And yeah. people are like fucking in the street. I'm, I'm, you know, my staff are like touching shoulders because there's not enough room in the office. <laughs> yeah. Man, we used to like you guys are seeing the office here. We've got twelve people in the office here. We used to have the same number of people in an office half the space. They're literally touching shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. You know, yeah. but that's the other growing pain. The other growing pain is to be so close to that breaking point that it's like, fuck, how much longer can we do this? That is the better of the two growing pains. hundred percent. Sure. And I've experienced sure. both. And I've seen a lot of people experience both. Push it until you can't push it any further and then figure out the scaling process. Yeah. Know when to, know when to go, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, hold on for as long as you can. Um, you know, if you're operating out of your out of your garage or whatever, stay there for as long as you possibly yeah, can. Have it as a, a badge of badge of honor. Yeah, be, 100%. be okay with that. Lean into yeah. it. Yeah, hundred percent. So you guys start twenty thirteen. You have uh, all of these um, growing pains that you're working through. These challenges, the cash flow. You get to the point where you're reviewing opportunity costs. You're scaling the business. You're you're building this business. You go and expand into the US. It's all fucking happening. 2020 comes along, there's this virus. One of the first things the government does is shuts down fitness. Effectively, shuts down fitness. You guys are in the fitness business, right? No fitness, you guys don't have a business. Exactly the same for me. And I've told the story, you know, uh, <laughs> ties into everything we've spoken about, but I tell the story of March to April 2020, I had, you know, similar to you guys, my business journey was a little bit longer, but I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd grown the online side of the business. I'd grown the distribution side of the business. I'm supplying gyms. I'm supplying retail stores. I've got 10 retail stores of my own, right? Moved into this big fuck off warehouse with these massive overheads, hired all this staff. We had like 50 staff at the time. Business was fucking great. I watched in two weeks, my top line revenue from March to April dropped by 60%. 
And I'm going, what the fuck do I do? Like, what do I do? How did you guys deal with COVID? Well, I had no gray hairs before COVID. Now, <laughs> I feel like there's quite a few there. It was, it was extremely stressful. And we thought we were working hard before, but we'd never worked harder than we did through those first six months. Um, where, as you say, fitness industry got shut down. Mm-hmm. Literally, gyms close. Yeah. And, and whilst we had an online business and, and you know, we still could move things around, um, you know, our thoughts were definitely with the gym owners mm-hmm. who are themselves only running you know, small businesses themselves. Mm-hmm. And literally, they went from 100% to zero mm-hmm. in terms of their revenue. So it's like, oh, shit, okay, how can we, how can we support them? Um, and then also on our end, okay, we've got all these... We just team. hired a team. We've got we, this team we, and, and we've got mouths to feed and, you know, we want to put people on the street um, in terms of our team. So, okay, like all come together. What, what can we do here? Um, what do we have to do? Uh, obviously, we sell a lot of shoes and when people can't go to the gym, they don't need shoes. So, And we're ordering them six, 12 months in advance, futures. So we've got all these shoes coming in as well. well okay, well, okay, who's going to buy them? Um, and it took a, took a few months or t- took a few weeks, I guess, to work out how this is all going to wash out, what's going to happen. Um, and we quickly saw that uh, people, they're still going to train, they're still going to work out, fitness is their thing, um, and they're going to just work out at home. Uh, and if you do fitness, you, it's not something you give up easily. Um, they're still training at home. Gyms were, you know, renting out their equipment to their members and, um, you know, coming and picking it up and taking a row at home or treadmill or whatever because obviously no one can come into the gym. Um, and so we saw, you know, a larger demand for body weight stuff, <laughs> resistance bands and, and those sorts of things. Skipping ropes. Skipping ropes. Yep. No, back. back to the skipping <laughs> back ropes. To the skipping yeah. Rope, yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and then obviously um, gym equipment, uh, was a big one. We were selling a little bit of equipment at the time, but not much, uh, and through a third party as well. Uh, and um, we definitely saw the opportunity there for equipment. Um, and people, instead of you know setting up, you know, commercial gyms, maybe there's like fifty or hundred of them opening in Australia at one time. Suddenly, there's like fifty thousand home gyms that uh, people are setting up Australia wide, uh, and so the demand there just like just exploded. Um, and so uh, we were able to, I guess, pivot and, and stand up that category um, of um, bumper plates, barbells, squat racks, you know, home gym stuff, um, dumbbells, kettlebells, uh, and, and we quickly stood that up as fast as we could. Our product team did an amazing job uh, to, to, get, to get that um, from, from us never sort of doing that ourselves to then standing up that whole category. Uh, and um, then... A few things went down in terms of we wanted some funding to sort of help us with this and, and the banks were so... so we've, got, we've got some yeah. uh, colourful stories there, yeah. let's just say. So like the, the banks were so busy, you know, cafes all? and stuff were, yeah. you know, closed completely and like yeah. they're just like trying to help out the people who, who had no income coming in. Mm-hmm. So stepped away from them um, and moved into pre-sale of equipment mm-hmm. um, with, you know, a, a probably 10 to 12 week time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so people waiting 10 to 12, it ends up being more 20 to 24 weeks uh, with the supply chain issues that came through that period. But um, yeah, we were taking orders from people for equipment that 
we were saying to them, hey, it's going to take three months at least to get here. Mm-hmm. Don't mind. Still want to pay for it. Um, and so that sort of gave us the comfort, I guess, to be able to get through. And the cash flow. And the cash flow, yeah, and the pre-sale. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, we were sunk. It was done. Um, so, um, yeah, so basically lent on that category and anything we could get our hands on in terms of like home gym stuff. Um, it was, almost was felt a, like we went back to the basics. Uh, well, and you did, right? And I but, think everyone. But, but honestly, that like did. that example of, okay, how are we going to fund this from a cash flow perspective? You that you learnt that from starting from the ground up. Like you learnt that through the through running a cash flow business right from the ground up. If you didn't go through that process, you guys would have been like, okay, how are we going to get through this? Ah, uh, let's just go knocking on um, private equity and see if we can get a couple million bucks in the door to get us through the next six months. That would have been the solution. So yeah, a hundred percent, Andy. Like that. That was that's your journey. Yeah, and the growth during that period was was unbelievable for yeah. us. And we almost feel bad because of the gym owners having nothing yeah. and the people who we work with and support all the time, you know, and they were like really struggling. And we're mm. like we're seeing like our numbers online has just gone mental. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we had to sort of figure out. We still feel like we probably left a few million dollars on the table mm-hmm. in terms of like product that we couldn't get in and, and demand was still there and we we're turning people away and, um, you know, it was a crazy time. Mm. Um, and there was state lockdowns. You know, we went to the national lockdown and state lockdowns and we would say, we, you know, New South Wales got locked down. We would see traffic on our site just like within an hour, Same. just exploding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, suddenly you wake up in the morning and there's 400 equipment orders there to get out, mm. um, which are like, well, that's going to take two weeks. Mm. Um, so, you know, we, we, yeah, it was extremely stressful time because we didn't really know you know, we're not trained in it. None of us were trained no in it. No one had the skill set of having been through a global pandemic <laughs> yeah. before. So especially at, at the outset of that, there was that oh shit moment. Mm. Are we going to have a business next week? Mm-hmm. At that point in time, we actually hired a, a, a team internally Two to, weeks before, to, yeah. to work with us. Mm. And they got in the office, they picked up their chair and their computer and then we said, okay, guys, we're all going home. And we were thinking, okay, as Ben said, how, how are we going to support this? We've just hired this team. And, and quickly it went from uh, how do we do this to go, all right, let's just start making moves. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot, pivot until you find something. And as Ben touched on, the equipment was huge because at the end of the day, we had all of our community going, feeling sorry for themselves. Mm-hmm. And we felt a duty to them. And initially, before we could even do any of this, um, we said, we've just got to get people working out. We've got to get people feeling positive and have some sort of purpose because when that fitness and working out and going to the gym was taking away that, um, the, the overwhelming sense of uh, enjoyment in life was being stripped away from some people. So we stood up an online fitness competition. We sort of sat around in a room and go, what are we going to do? All right, let's get people working out and then we'll figure out what we're going to sell them and how we're going to run the business later. But let's just try and get people excited about working out again. So at the time, I think um, Ben wants to put this on a T-shirt, number one largest online fitness competition. Um, We just stood it up in basically an afternoon. Let's, what are we going to use? How are we going to do it? What workouts are we going to do? And people just like, this is is awesome. Like I've gone from feeling sorry about myself to going – I've got a sense of purpose yeah. every day. Like I'm just hanging out for tomorrow's workout 
and seeing where they were on the leaderboard and messaging us in going, how did I go? Sending videos in. It was, uh, it was awesome. We had and five and a half thousand people globally doing, doing this workout. Basically over, free. We made it free. It was like... It was, overnight. It was, yeah. And I think for Ben and I, that gave us the fuel to figure it out. Yep. In business, it's about, okay, we know we've got to figure this out. And that probably filled up the passion bucket of going, hang on, people rely on us to help them with this, whether it's that community aspect or the product or keeping them motivated. Like we felt an under, under, uh, overwhelming sense of duty there to do that. And then, you know, I remember being on calls with the team going, all right, we don't have anything to sell today, but we've got resistance bands. How can resistance bands help people at home with their training? You know, you can do curls, you can do whatever. So we, it was really stripped back to basics. And then as things went along in the journey, we were finding out other opportunities, as Ben touched on, yeah. the equipment. Um, it was a big investment for us to pivot into that. And we weren't specialists. We weren't the best at that at the time, but we basically put all our chips on the table and, and pushed in that direction because we thought if we don't do this, we may not have a business. We, we just don't know. So we made some calls. They were all educated and um, we tried to make the economics work, but we took some massive risks, but luckily they, they came off. But it was a crazy, crazy time, I think, for everyone. Yeah, well, especially those of us who, you know, we earn a living in the fitness industry. You know, you kind of mentioned gym owners were, were man, devastated. Um, but then all of the complementary businesses that tie into that, you know, like we obviously through what we do through um, supplements and apparel, you know, we saw it. But then same thing, right? There was there were little pockets of opportunity. And if you were willing to kind of look for them and you were willing to be open to new opportunities that perhaps you would not have considered if it wasn't for the extraordinary circumstances happening around you, you could kind of make the most of them. But, but you know, yeah, figure it out, you know. Um, and it comes back to the entrepreneurial spirit, you know. Like I think um, Warren Buffett has this, say, uh, has this saying, when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. Exactly. You know? I love that one. And I think that, Definitely that period, 2020, start of 2021, especially before all of the um, false economics started happening, uh, was really one of those periods where it was like, okay, we're going to find out who the real business people are now. We're going to find out who the real entrepreneurs are now. What are you going to do? Do you have not even the skill set, but do you have the courage to try things with no guarantee of success? Do you have the courage to pivot and give things a shot? Do you have the courage to look for the silver lining in the dark clouds? Um, really incredible period of time. Yeah, the cream always rises to the top. Yeah. That's my theory. Um, I mean, for a lot of people, it was very unfair. You know, if you worked in the airline industry or in the yeah. gym industry, yeah. you know, literally. You know, yeah, hospitality. Yeah, we were doing everything we can for um, gym owners to say, hey, like, we're busy. You know, we've got heaps of orders to get out. Come down to our warehouse and pack some orders. Like, mm. you know, we'll, we'll help you out. Yeah. Um, doing what we could, but it was, it was yeah, extremely difficult time uh, for a lot of people. And I think that, um, you know, that it rose. What came out of it was, you know, the mental health challenges for a lot of people. Yes. Um, and, and we're still, and we're still seeing. Still working through that. Yeah, yeah. 100%. A lot of our team, yeah. you know, were, were scared as well. There was yes. like real, like they were properly scared. Mm. Uh, and um, whether that was from catching COVID or 
you know, their livelihood, what's going to look like in six, 12 months. Mm. Um, a lot of our team we saw struggled with it a lot. Mm. Um, and so you've got Annie and I here as the cheerleaders for the team, like every day sort of like keeping their spirits up, keeping them keeping them going. Um, and we had to do that quite a bit um, to say, hey, look, you know, yeah, things are shit right now, but, um, but focus, we can focus. Purpose. Just, Keeping them aligned and understanding there's something bigger out there than than us and something we could rally behind. And I think, yeah, getting people working out and training in whatever circumstance, that took the concern away from, yeah, there's this global pandemic going on, but people are still working out. And if you focus on something positive there, people can rally behind it. We all needed a purpose. We're all at home. We, w- we couldn't go out, we couldn't travel. So I think that purpose for us, we, we came almost right back to the start of the business while we started at what we were passionate about yep. and aligning the team around that was, was really quite powerful. Yeah, for sure. I want to completely change gears because one of the things that uh, we often discuss in this podcast, this is the podcast to provide you with the practical and strategic advice to help you level up in fitness, business, your career, your relationships and your life. A business relationship is a very unique relationship. And you guys uh, obviously started the WOD Life. Well, went, you went to school together. Uh, you know, you trained together. You started the WOD Life together. Uh, and here you are 10 years on still as co-founders, still as co-directors, still as co-leaders of the business, uh, which is incredibly rare you know, to see two founders 10 years on um, and and not just still be involved in the business, but to be as actively involved in the business as you guys. But like you guys are the head honchos of the wildlife, right? It's incredibly rare. I don't, I actually don't think I've ever seen it before. And I've seen a lot of businesses that have been started by two people, three people, um, you know, friends, brothers, sisters, you know, there's an existing relationship there and then the business pressures kind of get too much and it fragments the relationship and then one partner leaves or another partner comes in and it just looks completely different to how it did when it started. I'm really interested to know how you guys have managed, developed and maintained your personal relationship alongside your business relationship over the last 10 years? We've had our moments. We're not going to lie. Um, well, especially it, given like all of the challenges that we've just run oh, through, sure, right? Like yeah, if something sure. was going to break you guys, it would have been COVID for sure. Yeah. And if people tell you it's, you know, rainbows and lollipops every day, they're, they're, they're lying because, um, you know, um, we, we've we had the advantage of knowing each other since high school. Um, and I think, you know, each other's families, um, friends. We've got the same friendship group. Uh, there's, you know, that that helps a lot. Um, so it's not, you know, we're not coming together for the purpose of just starting a business. We're, we're friends. Um, that's first and foremost. Um, and we both have the same vision, uh, which is to allow people to discover what they're capable of, um, to grow a successful business, to um, be able to come to work every day and, and work in what we do and do what we do is, is a privilege. Uh, it's not a right by any, by any stretch of the imagination. So we both are aligned on, on a lot of things which are super important. Um, and um, we both know how each other's going to react as well. Uh, so 
it's like, okay, this is happening. You know, Andy knows that I'm probably going to be really pissed about something. Um, you know, something's gone wrong, whatever. Andy, great sounding board. Like, just to be able to like bounce things off of him and get the pragmatic response and work through something. Say, hey, this is not the end of the world. We just need to find a solution for it. What's the solution? Take the emotion out of it. Um, that's what we try to do. And we come in sometimes quite emotional and then walk out going, oh, you know what? Yep, taking the emotion out of it. This is the strategy. This is the process. These are the steps. Let's work towards that. Um, I think that's been super important. I couldn't have done this on my own. Um, and so to have a business partner Likewise. there, to have a business partner there is super, super important sometimes. Um, and you have to give each other personal space. Um, there has to be periods where you're not, you know, you need a day off every now and then, whether that's usually a Sunday for us, um, where, okay, like, go and do your own thing, like, have your own hobbies outside of work. Um, personally, I follow the crows, is power boy. Uh, Which says that, a lot about that, our, that us causes, and our business relationship. Yeah, yeah, we, if we can different. get along, if we can get along there, then, um, you know, anything's possible. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, it comes down to that and, and understanding that you're going to have you're going to have disagreements, but at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We both want the same thing, and that is to have a successful company. And the things that we get upset about are usually about just because we both care so much about the business. And that's what we're upset about. And, and also subjectivity as well. Um, it can be, we might be looking at a new range of apparel, uh, and there might be like one colour Andy really likes, one colour I really like, but also looking at the data and going, okay, I like black, Andy likes white, our data says that everyone, our customers like red. So taking that subjectivity out of it and looking at the data and be like, well, at the end of the day, like we work for our customers, so we're going with that red shirt. Um, there's a bit of compromise there, but we try to look at the numbers, try to feel, have a think about what our customer wants, where it's going, uh, and, and make a decision based on the numbers rather than emotion. That's important. Yeah, and I think we're... Uh, we're Two different dudes. We're very, very different. And I think if we were the same person, um, two of us, we probably wouldn't be sitting here. But the fact that we're so different, whether it's yin and yang or just completely different, we look at things differently. We react to things differently. We see value in certain things differently. We just have different skill sets in that sense. So I think we've been able to complement each other there pretty nicely. Um, I mean, we could probably count the amount of like disagreements we've had on like one hand. We actually don't have that many. And as Ben said, because we're so aligned on our vision and what we're trying to achieve, we put that before absolutely everything. And it's never a person, we would never take things personally and trying to be as objective as possible. It's not easy to do, but I think we, we both know deep down that we're trying to do the best thing for our customer, for the business, for our team, and trying to get the right outcome. And I think knowing that, whatever happens in the roller coaster, you know, that's sort of par for the par for the course. But, you know, as Ben touched on, I couldn't do this without Ben. It's nice to hear that he can't do it without me. Uh, it's nice. So thank you for having the forum to hear that from each other. Because we don't tell each other that. My pleasure. We don't we don't tell each other that. Of course. Either. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm probably yeah. I'm more of an emotional character. Ben's probably a bit more reserved in that sense. Um, but we never really uh, you know talk about that. We're yeah. always about how can we push things forward? How can we do things better? 
um, what are we going to do? How are we going to achieve this? Um, and it's quite often we just kind of kick back and go, wow, like look at this, look at what we've achieved. There are moments where we sort of sit back and smell the roses, so to speak. Um, but I think because we're so fixated on, on what we're trying to do and we're on the journey together and we couldn't do it without each other, it always sort of comes back to that because, yeah, I think it is quite rare um, and to be able to do that, even our mates are like, I don't know how you boys do it. Like, this, this is crazy. And you spend all day with him, yeah. Um, but you just go, yeah, crazy, 10 years. It's uh, absolutely wild. But but yeah. similar to, you know, you, we have people external as well that we bounce off, and I think that's important as well, whether that's family or friends or a mentor, um, people who have got more experience than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and and for both of us, they're different different people as well. So we go away, talk about things with, you know, mentors, friends, family, Andy will do the same, come back with like fresh ideas and and the ways that we can sort of change things or fix things. Um, so I think that's important, whether you've got a business partner or two or three or you're just solo like yourself, to have external people that you can bounce things off um, in a mentor mentor space and and have trust in them that, you know, what you're saying is confidential and um, and um, so it's important to have those people that externally that you can talk to uh, about all sorts of things. It's almost like your, your external support network. It is. Absolutely. You know, yeah. that, that ultimately supports the relationship. Exactly. I think one of the, the uh, most insightful things that you guys just mentioned and one of the things that I see uh, re- a really underestimated but super important part of any relationship, whether it's a business relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a personal relationship, is a lot of people think in two dimensions and they think it's me and the other person, right? And and that's, that is that is the extent of what's happening here. There's always a third party, right? And you guys in your relationship, the third party is the business, right? So it's not just about how is Andy treating Ben? How is Ben treating Andy? How is that two-dimensional dynamic working? There's the business, right? And you both, you mentioned that you put the business first, right? That's the third party in the relationship. And you always anchor back into that. So if Ben's pissed off with Andy or Andy's frustrated at Ben or whatever, well, hold on a second. What about the business? Because that's the third party in this relationship. I think in a in a marriage, for example, there's the husband and the wife or the wife and the wife or the husband and the husband, but then there's a marriage, right? And if both parties always anchor back to the marriage and go, okay, what effect is this going to have on the marriage? What effect is this going to have on the family? What effect is this going to have on that third party? It can just stomp out so many of the little bullshit issues. Same with friendships, same with the same with any relationship. What's the third party in the relationship? Are you both aligned in prioritizing that third party? The marriage, the relationship, the business, whatever it is, anchor back to that, communicate around that, have your support networks that you can bounce ideas off. And I think, you know, ultimately that's kind of like the recipe for success for any successful relationship. Exactly. You can't be a, don't shirk tough conversations yes. as well. It's another one. Um, you know, if you need to, if you're unhappy about something, like get it out, get it off your chest, yeah. talk about it, yeah. come to a solution. That's super important. I think a lot of people harbor stuff yeah. and then they explode and then yeah. walk or walk away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's super important in all relationships, whether it's business, family, marriage, whatever. 
the longer you delay the difficult conversations, the more difficult the conversations become. That's right. You guys are, I mean, the basis of your business was CrossFit, right? You mentioned you were training at a CrossFit gym, trying to get the super fast skipping rope to shave a few seconds off the wad. Your, your original business name was The Wad Life. Your website is still thewadlife.com. Very CrossFit-centric, CrossFit-focused. 10 years ago, beautiful. CrossFit was banging. You know, everyone was, you know, CrossFit this, CrossFit that. The CrossFit brand was very congruent. It was a, it was a monster. Over the last few years in particular, we've seen fragmentation of group fitness. We've seen fragmentation of functional fitness. And now, you know, CrossFit is definitely not what it used to be from a branding perspective. Now you've got your F, well, you had your F45s, they're in a bit of trouble at the moment, but you've got F45, you've got BFT, you've got Revel, you've got, you know, all these different, and then you've got the big chains that are doing their group fitness classes and, and functional fitness and all those sorts of things. You guys are in the process, we were talking a little bit off camera, of um, evolving your business brand from the wildlife to TWL to making sure that you don't lose touch with CrossFit and, and not forgetting where you've come from, but at the same time, understanding that the only thing that's permanent is change and you can either work with change or you can fight against change and try and maintain the status quo. And if you try and fight against it and maintain the status quo, you're going to be in all sorts of pain. How has that journey been for you guys in terms of both the let's call it the evolution of CrossFit and functional fitness and group fitness and the evolution of your business and the way that it interacts with that part of the fitness space. Where you go on this one? Yeah. So like, like with everything, knowing about where we've, where we've come from and, and at, we, at the heart of everything we do, it's that, that gym, maybe the gym where we first started and, um, having that emotional connection to that. That will always be there. But as you said, Joe, businesses always evolve. And if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, and we've always had that, that mindset. The thing that it comes back to for us is that people will always train. They'll always be working out. They may do it in a different location, slightly different style, but it, at the end of the day, everyone will still train. And that's really where we, we see it. We are a lifestyle around working out. Um, some gyms will call it WOD, some daily workout. Someone will call it their, you know, their program. But there'll still be training. And it will always evolve and it's being aware of that. Uh, that's, that's the thing we really come back to there. And we've never been a business where we're only one thing. We don't mind how people train. We want to try and bring that in. It's the lifestyle around training, how people go about it. It doesn't really matter where they do it or what they do. As long as people are training, as long as people are off the couch, they're motivated, they're getting better, that's what we're all about. You know, our tagline is discover what you're capable of, whether that's, you know, climbing a, a mountain, running a marathon or, you know, doing a, a PB on your, your deadlift. Like we just want to pe see people train, we want to see people win and we want to see people get the most out of their life. So that's really what it comes back to. Um, people do different types of workouts. 
that's completely cool. CrossFit, we've we've ridden that wave, and we're still amazingly passionate and aligned to that. There's still thousands and thousands of CrossFit gyms in Australia and worldwide. That's still continuing to grow. It's been really cool to see the growth of that sport. When we first started, it wasn't on ESPN. The people who won the CrossFit Games weren't household names. They didn't have millions of Instagram followers. I remember standing next to the then CrossFit Games champion and, and going to his gym and just working out with him. You know, it's it's great. You can't do that now. You've mm. got to pay $20,000 to go to a camp or see him on ESPN. It's crazy. So to see that evolution is really, really cool. Um, but also to see people evolve. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, you didn't have Revel. BFT wasn't a thing. F45, I think some people would say that that maybe evolved out of CrossFit. Mm. And, and the big thing about CrossFit, the reason that was started was because one personal trainer wanted to make more money. They wanted to train more than one person at a time. So sort of group fitness evolved from that. Um, and, and really at the heart of that is the community aspect to working out to training. Like we love that and that's something that fills up our, our passion bucket is to see people enjoy that not only um, individually but collectively and as a community. Mm. Um, that's really, really cool. Um, and the products that people use and the information, the motivation, you know, whether it's nutrition advice or supplements, that applies quite broadly. Um, and the products that people use as well, the footwear, the wrist wraps, whether you're doing CrossFit or, you know, bench pressing at a, at a Globo gym, like people still need the same products mm. and that will always be there, but fitness will continue to evolve. So the good thing is, is that fitness continues to grow. More people are doing, more people are working out now than they were 10 years ago. That's awesome to see. Like we don't care what people do, how they do it, as long as they're doing something, they're doing something to better themselves, they're doing something to work out. Um, we don't necessarily attach ourselves to one style of training, which is how we're able to, to keep evolving. Um, things always grow, things always you know, evolve, but people will still work out at the end of the day. And we get a lot of feedback from our customers and from gyms around what products they want to see and we are always asking the questions as well. Surveys, hey, what products do, don't we have that you want? You know, we're finding out those things um, and we obviously look at the orders and see where they're going and, and you know, we see them going to businesses, um, whether that be a BFT or a CrossFit gym and, and we're sort of or a strongman sort of space or a personal training studio. So we kind of know where our customers are uh, and where they're going. Um, and so, you know, we, yeah, definitely, definitely need to keep evolving. Um, you need to keep asking the questions to your customers. What do you want to see? What do you want to see? What do you want to see? Keep building out your range. And, and we love like the, the design phase of prototyping new products and getting things in. It's really exciting and bringing something to market. Um, you know, for us, that's really cool. Uh, and then also, um, identifying new opportunities, whether that be brands that want to break into a space or have done really well in a different space and, and kind of want to come into that training space. And so that's, you know, it's really exciting. Uh, and we, we really love the um, the fact that it's growing and more people are training than ever before and more more people are, you know, lifting weights and, and more females are, you know, into Absolutely. weightlifting. Like, that's great. You know, and it's only, it's only going to, it's only positive. Yeah. You mentioned... Um, 
seeing orders go to um, gyms and and strongman training and this and that and whatever. Um, you guys do a lot in the affiliate marketing space and you work with a lot of affiliate gyms and affiliate clubs and affiliate CrossFit boxes and, and you know, that's become quite an important part of your business. How important do you think affiliate marketing is to online business in particular, because that's the space that you guys are in, but really kind of, you know, any, any um, product-based business at where we're at right now in the macroeconomic environment. Very important. Um, for us, we identified early days that we would rather support the coach of the gym yes. than the best athlete in the gym. Yeah. Um, and because at the end of the day, they're the authority, they're sort of the knowledge base. Um, and when when a, a member comes to them say, hey, I've torn my hand or, you know, I want to pass a speed rope, I want to buy a speed rope or invest in, you know, knee sleeves or something like that, the coach is the one that they go to for that advice. Mm. Um, and um, hopefully they recommend us um, to look at our store. Usually we've, you know, we try and send out as many banners and stuff as we can to gyms and quite often they'll just point to the banner in the corner of the corner of the, of the go room. see those guys <laughs> yeah go, yeah, see, go yeah, there yeah. Um, and so that for us is super important and we've developed an affiliate program as well mm-hmm. um, we understand also that uh, gyms are small businesses for, for most of them especially you know if they own you know, one CrossFit box you know they're not like a good life with you know hundreds of thousands of members um, and and they need revenue streams. And as we try and provide them through the affiliate network with, with, a, with another, another revenue stream. Mm. So for recommending us and, and talking about us, and then they should they deserve you know, something there. Yeah. Um, so we've set up affiliate program. We've got hundreds of gyms around Australia on it. Mm. Um, and, um, and yeah, we think that you know, we, we stand behind our product, so we know that they're going to be a good product. Uh, and um, the gyms have been really receptive to it and, and it's been really good because it creates another revenue stream for them. Mm-hmm. Something that they would have they would have probably suggested done organically. that yeah, done organically yeah. and, and to give them the opportunity to, to sort of make a little bit of revenue off the back of it is, is good for the gym as yeah. well. Yeah, we do have a lot of listeners who are gym owners um, or, or coaches or club managers or that sort of thing. How do they find out about the affiliate program that you guys offer? Because I know that a lot of them are going to go, oh, that sounds interesting. Extra revenue stream. How do I access this? Yeah, sure. They just go to the website, thewodlife.com.au. Yeah. Um, and down in the footer, there's a there's a link to the TWL affiliate program. Mm-hmm. Um, so they simply fill in a form and, and we'll um, set them up with affiliate stuff send out a welcome pack to their gym as well mm-hmm. uh, get them into awesome. a, yeah get them into a bit of our gear uh, banner <laughs> yeah. um, and um, and yeah they build them into our program we've got you know specialized Facebook groups for it and yeah. um, constantly communicating as well and and it's a great for our suppliers who might want to set up some business relationships as well mm-hmm. so we're offering deals and and trying to sort of give them opportunities to create extra revenue mm-hmm. for their gym whether that's selling you know, a product through their gym um, or offering a service to their members or something that can help them out somehow. It's not requiring a lot of their investment, as we touch on. It's something they do naturally anyway. And if they can do something that's natural, that's going to give value to the member, Mm -hmm. they want members in the door. They want them working out. They don't want them on the couch because they're injured or they want people running through the door with their new shoes on. They're so pumped to work out. 
and they, they do it seven days a week. But they also don't want to have to set up a shop, a retail shop, and then it's they man their, it and deal their, with the petty yeah. cash and everything. Yeah. So this is is evolved yeah. um, quite a fair bit where it's easy for the gym owner. They create an extra revenue stream. Their members love it because they get something out of it as well, and we can continue to grow. If we can all support each other there in a way that makes sense, I think sometimes with affiliate programs it, it can feel not right not natural well not it can real. feel one-sided so for for the most part you know it's uh, once again it ties back into basic entrepreneurship basic business right we do we do a similar affiliate program we don't do specifically with boxes and and um you know clubs and that sort of thing we do with individuals but um a lot of personal trainers online coaches in the bodybuilding space and and so on and so forth but the thing with uh you know creating a successful affiliate program is creating a win-win-win situation right so how Absolutely. how how do we make sure that you win as the person with authority and influence how do we make sure that the person who you're influencing your customer or your gym club member how do they win and then how do we win if we can all align in our interests and create a win 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 situation it's going to work absolutely makes sense ultimately way. and i think like a, you know a lot of uh, where a lot of affiliate programs go wrong is it's just one sided it's just like what can i extract from you and you're actually not going to get anything back from it and that's right. just it's not a win 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 it's it's For it's sure. a zero sum game it's a win loss situation um, which is really you know uh, never going to work. Exactly. And the way we pitch it is like your members are purchasing through us anyway. Yes. So, um, and you may as well get something out of it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 100%. That's that win 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 situation. Yeah. Also great for creating allies in the industry as well and, and um, building out, you know, for us, we've always been very B2C. Yes. Um, and this is sort of a good, great way to, to look at the B2B side of things as yeah. well. And hey, as a gym, what do you want? Like we've never like done that before. We've always been like, hey, athlete, what do you want? Yeah. You know, the people in the gym. But now it's like, okay, you're in the gym, like what, how can we help yeah. here? What can we get? Yeah. Um, what can we do for you? Yeah, so it's great. One last question for you guys. And this is, um, this is a little bit of a selfish question uh, because we met um, a few weeks ago. We had a little meeting and we started going down the garden path of this. And I was like, hmm interesting chat and I've been thinking about it over the last few weeks. I'm like, when the, when the guys come on the podcast, we need to just explore this a little bit. So my final question for you today, and I know that we've gone way over what we expected to go. It's a podcast in itself. I feel it, is. Coming, yeah. it is. So we'll keep it short, but I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on the future of retail. Big question, Joe. Um, and yeah, as I said, well, this could I be think a timely question as well because sure. of everything that's happened happening macroeconomically. And we've spoken about COVID. We haven't spoken about the after effects of COVID, but we're all experiencing them right now. There's a there's a macroeconomic shitstorm brewing, and I think timely because I think retail is going to change a lot over the next few years. So I'm interested to know what you guys think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this might be my personal view. Ben might have another viewpoint on it, but. Retail, like fitness, always evolves. And again, it's what's what does the customer want? What experience do they want? And I think when e-commerce first started, first exploded, it was like, okay, how can we efficiently get product to the customer, get access to products that they might not be able to access? So I think e-commerce is really exciting and, and companies like Amazon are just revolutionizing the way that, hang on a second, I can get something 
to my door the next day that I couldn't go up the shop to get. So that was, was pretty amazing. And I think the journey, you talked about COVID and retail shutting, put a lot more light on, on e-commerce. Uh, one of the buzzwords as well was omni-channel in that you have an online store and then you actually have a retail store as well. There's some great brands who've been able to do that really well. And at the end of the day, it gets back to what experiences do customers want? And my big belief is that it is that experiential retail that retail, whether it be on the high street or at a headquarter level, people and customers want to go and experience something. And it's going to be more about the brand and how to experience the brand and how to build it that way than maybe the transaction. E-commerce is always uh, a good way. Question, maybe questionable economics at times about how to get a product to the customer in the, the most efficient way possible. But I think retail plays a real, really key role in that experience. Understanding the brand, getting, building a deeper connection and emotional connection with the brand. Maybe for us, whether it's a gym, working out, trying the products in the gym, whether it's touching and feeling, um, that's really, really key. Uh, so I think experiential retail is really where it's, it's going. Um, you look at a Nike town. I've always like, absolutely loved that. You go in there and you can experience Nike. And we don't, we don't really have one here in Australia, maybe in the US. Um, there's other stores like Kith that I love, one of my favorite brands. The big thing they do is they have like an ice cream cereal bar and you just go, hang on a second, this makes no, extent, no sense at all. But you have a deeper emotional connection with the brand because of that experience and it's pretty unique. So my, my feel is that experiential retail and is the way that it will continue to evolve. Um, potentially you can spread your unit economics over retail stores. Maybe you have this viewpoint, Ben, about opening up retail stores and the role that that plays. But for me, it's just about experience. How do you get people more entrenched with your brand, more emotionally connected? And the transaction comes after that. Yeah, and I guess we're, we're all of us in this room are old enough to have seen e-commerce evolve from non-existent mm -hmm. 20 years ago um, and your big established players like your Myers and your David Jones and those guys, they've had to move into e-commerce. So they've gone from having these huge stores that were always super successful uh, and then, you know, death by a thousand cuts um, and they're closing stores and things, are, and it's totally different now. And then also on the flip side, seeing brands that have started online, um, Stax is a good one, um, I was over in Melbourne the other week and, and drove past a stack store. And I was like, wow, they've gone from, they've gone the other way. They've started online, built up a huge customer base and now opening stores which are experiential um, in their nature because there's not, they're not like they're tapping into the customers that are coming around from around there. Um, they're running, uh, running you know, launches and, and they're running experiential things and getting special guests in and all that sort of stuff. So that's where we're sort of seeing like that going. Your store is um, not so much about selling the product. Some of these things, have, some of these stores have only got like a little bit of product around the edge, but it's about the experience that they, they can have in those stores. And they're not going to go to the store every day, um, but when there's something on, then then they're there. Um, and for us, it's, you know, it's, it's, Something that we think about, about like where would we put a store? Mm. Our customer base is everywhere. Um, whether it's you know in um, 
Inaloo in WA or or in Dubbo or you know Wagga Wagga or like our orders go all over Australia, and so um, we've always had a focus on um, pop up stores. And if there's a big event, something like the Torian Pro uh, that we really get behind, um, we we like to bring the store to them, and you know we'll invest large amounts of money in, in setting up the store, similar to like the Arnold's and stuff like that, um, where customers can come in for a short period of time, have that experience, touch and feel our product, try things on, find out their shoe size, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, that's still super important. Um, but in terms of sort of us opening stores left, right and centre, it's not on the roadmap at the moment. Um, but, you know, definitely getting to events where our customer base are all at one sort of time, um, that's still super important for us. And that's how what we've done over the years. And um, we mainly do two, two main pop-up stores a year now. We used to do sort of eight to ten and, you know, go to the opening of an envelope basically. Uh, but we've now sort of branched that back and, and just do two major ones uh, where, where, you know, they're very successful. Um, and, um, and, but it's mainly we get a lot of feedback from our customers there and customers who maybe aren't comfortable buying things online. That's their opportunity uh, to get it there and then size themselves up. Um, and, and to yeah. discover us, crazy to think that some people don't know who we are, but at events as well, it's a it's great opportunity for people to go, wow, <laughs> yeah. I never heard of you guys. What do you guys do? Yeah. That's like awesome yeah. as well. I, whenever I get that, it's humbling. I'm like, oh, fantastic. New customers. <laughs> Welcome. Let me tell you what we're about. Um, when I was younger, I used to get pissed off. I was like, how have you not heard of us? We run all these ads and sponsor all these yeah. athletes. And But I guess you kind of mature and evolve and um, adapt a more growth mindset. Um, it's interesting to hear you guys say that uh, around the experience because uh, obviously you, you have been a up until now, a pure play online retailer. Um, you haven't had any experience with bricks and mortar retail stores. I personally have been omni-channel since, well, since you guys started, actually. I opened our first bricks and mortar retail store, Massive Joe's Donut Court in 2013. Um, and so I've been running retail stores for the last 10 years. And my vision for retail stores, uh, definitely post-COVID, has, has literally backflipped you know, back when, even 20, 2019, so uh, pre-COVID, we had 10 retail stores, eight in South Australia, one in Melbourne, one in uh, Western Australia. And the vision was to build out what we'd done in South Australia, uh, scaled to population in each of the major cities. So eight stores in South Australia, the next was Melbourne. I wanted to do 10 to 15 in Melbourne, right? And then over to Perth, right? And do probably eight to 10 in Perth and then do Sydney and then do Brisbane. And, and it was very much transactional based, very much convenience retail based, right? It was kind of like, okay, where can, where can it be most convenient for people to come into the store, you know, have a little bit of an experience, but really it's the transaction. So they want to get their shit at a good price, have a good customer experience and be done with it. Now, it's experience, you know, and I think so much of that post-COVID is because online retail has got so good, you know, and we even hear it from our customers, right? We're going through a consolidation of bricks and mortar retail at the moment. And I've been talking to customers where they're like, oh, you know, I've noticed that you closed the brickwork store, which we closed two weeks ago. We came to the end of the lease and decided not to renew. And I, I'll get talking to them and explain. And they're like, yeah, to be honest, I order online because I get the shit the next day. 
Like, well, <laughs> funny that, funny that. Yeah. reinforces, right? But the, the convenience, I guess where I'm kind of going with this is the vision pre-COVID around the convenience and the transactional retail has been chewed up by online, right? And because we're omni-channel, we see it, right? So the, the, the future of Bix and Mortar Retail, I agree with you guys 100%. It needs to be experience-based, it needs to be, how do I experience the brand? How do I experience the products? How do I have an experience that I can't get online? I think that's the only way it can go at this point. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the like the guy that came up to you and told you about the store, like yeah. you'll hear from your customers as to what they, yeah. what they want. Yeah. You got to listen though. You do. You got to listen. Do. Something in that. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. It's been a, a, a lot longer chat than we expected, but it's been an incredible chat. I personally have taken a lot out of uh, this discussion, this conversation. And I know when that happens that the listeners and the viewers will have taken an absolute ton of value. Um, so I just wanted to thank you guys for your time. I know you're both very uh, busy men uh, and you run a very successful business. So for you guys to give up your time to come on the show and, and provide the insights that you have and the value that you have means the world to me uh, personally. So thank you. And I know it means the world to the listeners and the viewers as well. Uh, for the listeners and the viewers that are, they want to find you guys where's the best way to find you we've mentioned the wadlife.com obviously uh you guys personally company socials where where do you want to send people yeah we're quite often behind the scenes yeah you know, i know look i'd put i'd put your personal social handles on the line but i'll let you guys do that if you want oh look i mean if you search Ben Deneen on yeah. Instagram. I'm sure I'll pop up. Yeah. Same with. I'm the second Andy Lee on Instagram. <laughs> uh, you might be following another guy, but um, yeah. yeah. Look, check us out. The Wad Life, all the handles there. Yeah. Um, you'll see us sprinkled around. Um, yeah. We we're um, you know super humbled to be here. I know Ben and I have always looked up to you as like a Thank pioneer you. in the South Australian business and the Australian business. Like we're always humbled to share our story. And, you know, thank you for giving us the opportunity to reflect as well. As business owners, you don't really get to do that. Yeah. Us having this conversation is pretty rare. Mm. But always, like, I think we, go, we come away from these opportunities of going, you know, we're, we're proud of what we've built. We know what we're doing. It reaffirms our mission and we're just sort of excited to run out the door and, and to get back to it. So yeah. thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. And, Hopefully the listeners get a bit of value out of it. Yeah, definitely. And I know you guys have a little something to share with the listeners as well, right? You've set something up on the website. Yeah, we've got a code. Yep. Um, code for the listeners. Uh, Fitness X Business. Yep. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a $10 off your order, over $100. So awesome. um, yeah, jump on jump on the wildlife.com.au and if you're making a purchase. Throw the throw the code in and yeah. and you and, get and a Joe treat. hand deliver your order. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Same day delivery yeah. by yours yeah. truly. Uh, no, thank you for that, guys. And you guys know, listeners and viewers, the one thing that we ask in return, if you have listened to, well, yeah, a couple of things in return, you get a last discount from the wildlife. Uh, the one thing we ask in return, if you guys have taken some value from this episode, is to take a screenshot on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to right now. Post that screenshot in your Instagram story. Tag. The Wadlife, done. Tag The Wadlife. You can tag Ben, you can tag Andy, you can tag me in there as well. We love seeing those tags and we reshare as many of them as we possibly can. Gentlemen, thank you once again. It's been an absolute pleasure. You guys could have been anywhere in the world right now 
but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening. A couple of things to round out. Firstly, if you've yet to subscribe to the Fitness Times Business Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure you do that right now so you don't miss any future episodes. Secondly, if you guys took some value from this episode, the one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. And finally, if you've yet to leave us a five-star rating, make sure you do that before the next episode.